There was once a story of an individual who comes to his rabbi, his, his Hasidic master, and his rabbi tells him, you know, he, he says to his rabbi, he says, I need to work on my trait of anger. I need to work on my trait of anger. The rabbi says, you know what, why don't you go out of the room for a minute and let the next guy who's here come in and then I will, uh, we'll talk about this. So this, the next visitor to the Rebbe comes in and the Rebbe makes sure that the window is open. The Rebbe says to him, listen to me. He says, the guy who's outside says he has a big problem with anger. Do me a favor. When you leave, do something to him to annoy him. Okay. Try to trigger his anger. Okay, so they, they talked about what they needed to talk about on his way out. He prepares a cup of tea, the individual. And as he's walking out, he, he slips and drops the tea on this individual waiting outside. And the individual doesn't get upset. He doesn't get angry. Everything is fine. And then as he's going, he slips again and he hits the individual who was waiting outside in the waiting room. And again, he was totally calm. Finally, he comes into the Rebbe. And uh, the Rebbe says, what, what are you here for? He says, I'm here to work on my anger. Says, you're here to work on your anger. What are you talking about? He says, you were just tested with anger and you didn't get angry at all. You're great with your anger. You're great in overcoming your anger. He says, no, Rebbe, you don't understand. Your window was open. I heard you tell the other guy to try to test me. So I knew that I should not get angry. So I was prepared. So therefore, I didn't get angry. It was very easy not to get angry. So the Rebbe says, when do you have an issue? Because when I'm home, I get angry with my wife. I get angry with my children. He says, and don't you understand that those are tests from Hashem, right? Hashem has an open window where he's telling them, test him. Test this individual. Let's see how he overcomes his anger. We have to be prepared. He says, I open that window so that you know, right? He says, Hashem opens up that window for us. Every single challenge we have. Every single day when we go through life, we think it's just random people. No, they're people that God sent there for us to test us on our traits. So the Rebbe told him, if it's me and you're able to do it, even more so if it's the Almighty, you're able to overcome your anger. Knowing that the, other, that the Almighty is the one who opened up that window and he sends that challenge for you, you can overcome it, right? You can work on it. So when we talk about traits and Musa in, in our Musa work, we have to understand that all of our challenges, every single challenge that we have is designed by the Almighty. It's designed by the Almighty for us to overcome those traits. So you think, oh my goodness, my neighbor is so annoying. No, 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 no. Hashem sent that neighbor to annoy you, right? It could be a spouse. It could be a sibling. It could be a child. It could be a friend. It doesn't make a difference. The tests that we get are there, designed, handcrafted by the Almighty to help us grow and to help us overcome our challenges. All right? It's very important principle for us, to, for us to know. Okay. So we were talking over the past couple of weeks, the past three weeks, we were talking about the trait of, uh, of kindness. And when we talk about the trait of, trait of kindness, it's very, very important for us to always remember that kindness, we said part one, it's not about what we are doing. It's not about what we want. It's about what we're able to do for our fellow. Okay, we, we discussed that in great length. 
in the, over the past couple of weeks, we discussed the importance of being focused on what the other person needs, not on what we want. Okay. So it, I know when I'm thirsty, remember we mentioned this, I know when I'm thirsty, I know when I'm hungry, I know when I'm tired, I know when I'm irritable, right? I know, but does do I know what the other person is? That's true kindness. True kindness is when we're able to get into the other person's frame of mind, when we're able to see a person walk on the street and notice that they're thirsty. Come, sit down, have a drink. How did you know I was thirsty? Right? To get to understand what other people are experiencing. That when someone else is in a, in a place of, of, of compromise, that we're able to identify with that, not be completely immersed in our own world. Right? That is the first step in any healthy relationship is not being immersed in ourselves, right? I remember a friend of mine told me when, when I got engaged, he says, when before I got engaged even, he says, you have to start thinking in doubles. You're always thinking about yourself. I want a drink, I need a Coke, right? He says, you're gonna have to start thinking double. To have a healthy relationship, you need to start thinking that I have someone else with me. What do they want, right? What's their, what, right? I want to say something, right? But what do they want to say? Maybe there's something that they want to say that I can include them in the conversation. You understand? So it's very, very critically important. I can't mention enough because you see, most of our traits that we discussed previously, we talked about for two, three, three weeks. Right? With this trait of kindness, we have to talk about much longer than just a couple of weeks. And the reason is because Olam Chesed Yibana, we said the world is created through kindness. The world is created through kindness. When we have kindness in our world, we're able to, to, to make this world so much greater. We're able to open up, we're able to create worlds through our kindness. And kindness, we don't have to go far. We, we already de declared this previously, that the first stage of kindness is at home. The first stage of kindness is with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, but more so with our spouse. That's ground zero. Ground zero of our own kindness is with our own spouse. Then it goes with the, with the set, second circle around us, whether that's our children or our parents. And then the next circle around us, our friends. And when we're able to do kindness in a proper manner with our closest relationships, that's when kindness is really coming to life, right? A person has to think. Think about what's going on. It's an amazing thing. If you look at the Torah, the Torah gives us all of the guidelines we need to have a, an unbelievable life. One of the things that we learn in the Torah is that when you borrow money from someone, if someone borrows money from you, right? So you could take collateral, right? So let's say someone comes, they need $100. Say, no problem, give me collateral. You're allowed to ask for collateral. What's the collateral? So you ask for, uh, I don't know, I don't have a car to give you, but uh, let me give you my watch. Or let me give you my pillows. So the Torah tells us that when they need that pillow, you have to give it back to them. One second. Right? What are you giving me collateral? You're giving me collateral so that I, I hold it against you, right? right? But the person is still a human being. The person still needs to sleep. They need their pillow for sleeping. Give it back to them for sleeping. And they bring it back to you in the morning. The Torah is a world of kindness that we are trying to get ourselves immersed in. A world of kindness, right? You think about it, everything that we have in the Torah is about kindness. It really is amazing. Right? We know that uh, Job, 
right? He cried. He said, did I not weep for the suffering? Did my soul not grieve for the destitute? Do we weep for those who are suffering? Right? And that's a question that we need to ask. Job was an example of this. But do we weep when we see someone else suffering? Do we cry? Does it hurt us enough? See, we're living in a world that's a very big challenge that we're dealing with today, is that we're all on, I, I plan to do a, a, a torch minute on this, so you'll get a preview, right? But I, I want to do a torch minute on my lessons. I'm going to hopefully do a series of them. If you're not familiar with torch minute, it's a daily short one minute video, one or two minute video that we produce. It's on Instagram. You can go to Instagram.com forward slash torch minute and um, subscribe or join or like or follow. I don't know whatever the uh, the platform standard is there. And every day we produce a, a, a new video. So I want to do a few videos on, on the lessons I've learned. Let me share with you one of them. The world we're living in is such a crazy, busy world. God is just telling us to stop. It's such a ridiculously crazy world. We have so much going on. Everything is hustle and bustle and going and coming and everything is catch a flight and run here and do this and do that. Nobody has time for their family. No one has time for their children. No one has time for anybody anymore. Everyone's busy. And on our phones, we're busy, busy, busy. Hashem is saying, stop. There's nowhere to go. Just spend time with your loved ones. Just spend, just stop with everything. And it is such an amazing experience. I'm telling you, I'm on such a high from this. I'm on such a high from this whole uh, 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 lockdown. And for us, it's still, I mean, it's still a serious matter. We still, sadly, my children are going crazy because they say we want to have guests again in the house. So do we. Uh, we want to have our all of our young professionals coming for Shabbat dinners. And we want to have all of y'all over. For Shabbos dinner, and it's it really is 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 painful that we can't. And we're trying to figure out. Yesterday we had a family meeting, right after Shabbos, trying to figure out how can we figure out a way to have our friends and students over for a Sunday night, a Monday night, a Tuesday night, maybe a Shabbos. So Shabbos is long; they have to sleep someplace. It really is. We're trying to to figure it out. But the problem is, is that we need to really spend more time with our family. We need to be spending more time with ourselves. We're running away constantly into our hideouts. Our hideouts could be our career. Well, guess what? Your work is shot. It's been shot for three months, right? We're running away to our phones. Guess what? How many different memes and how many different videos can you watch? Okay, now you have new entertainment in, in, in the Black Lives Matter and all of that, right? But, I mean, come on. How much? How much can we visit? Eventually, we just have to put it down and stop and just spend time with the people we love. And the people who, you know, when life ends, we say, we all heard this phrase, right? No one ever said when they were on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at work. I wish I spent more time, you know, in my career. No, everyone says, I wish I spent more time with my family, with what was really important. Hashem is giving it to us on a silver platter. He's saying here, you have literally nothing else you can do. Just spend time with your family. Spend it with your parents. Spend it with your children. Spend it with your spouses. Spend quality time. I have a friend. I mentioned this recently. He told me he fell in love anew with his wife. He's married for over 50 years. Right? He says, we're just doing projects together. Spending. He said, I never knew I had such an amazing wife. Right? Because we're busy running around. We're busy. Now, again, we have to have a livelihood. 
It, the, and by the way, that's the gift of Shabbos. The gift of Shabbos is that we stop. We turn off our phones. We turn off our computers. We turn off everything. We have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Nothing to disturb, disturb us. Nothing to distract us. Let's just eat good food and drink good wine and spend time with our family and look at them with the, with the candlelit dinner. Where do you think the romantic candlelit dinner came from? It came from the Shabbos table where we have candles and we have the beautiful, you know, romantic atmosphere. That's where it comes from. Spend time with your family. Okay. So this to me is the, but we also need to take time. True. We're running around. We're very busy. Hashem is telling us to stop. Let's think about other people. Let's think about other people who don't have that. Let's think about other people who don't have what we have. Everyone is gifted with something. Everyone is gifted with something unique. All right? The trait is really self-understood, right? You think of compassion, right? The compassion that's needed to do proper kindness. Joseph had mercy and compassion for his brothers. You think, you look at the story of, of Joseph. Here his brothers threw him into a pit. They sold him like a, like, like a piece of cloth. They sold him to, to Egypt. They sold him for nothing. He goes to Egypt. He's there for 12 years in prison most of that time. He's actually there for 17, for, for 22 years. But for 12 years, he was in prison. And finally, he sees his brothers come because there's a famine in the land of, no, the land of Israel. Right? And... You'd think he'd beat them up to a pulp, right? He'd knock, he'd, he'd, knock a, he'd knock each one out, right? Teach them a lesson. Instead, he has compassion. He feels bad for his brothers. Not only that, when he reveals to his brothers that he's their brother, what does he tell the Egyptians? Does that want everybody out of the room? Just me and my brother, right? Just me and these individuals that he didn't reveal yet, right? And then he says, I am Joseph. Why? To spear them embarrassment. After all that, he's still worried about how they're going to take it, how they are going to feel about it. An unbelievable sensitivity. That's why Joseph is called Joseph Hatzadeh, the righteous Joseph. Why? Because someone who has such great sensitivity for other people, right? That's someone who's really special. Now, we have to realize the Torah also qualifies who is deserving of that compassion. Not every person is deserving of compassion. For example, a murderer says, don't have pity on him. You don't have pity on a murderer. Someone who entices others to sin, you have no compassion. And you provide no protection for him. Your hand shall be the first to kill him, says the Torah. Someone who entices other people to sin, someone who does it right. And then the rebellious son, we also see that the parents have to bring him in. So we have exceptions where you don't have mercy. It also says... You're not allowed to have Rahmanas. You're not allowed to have mercy or compassion for the person who is an Achzer. Anybody know what an Achzer is? An Achzer is someone who is cruel. You're not allowed to have pity or mercy on a cruel person. You know why? Because then you'll be cruel to the merciful. It means you get your, all your priorities messed up. Rahmanas, mercy, uh, uh, compassion in its place. And then to have that, not cruelty, but to be, to be a little bit firm where you need to have that, okay? You're not allowed to, the Talmud warns us about not having compassion for the cruel. Someone who's cruel, don't have compassion on them, right? Is a, a, a good balance that needs to be had over here. How do you define cruel? 
I would say someone who has no compassion for people, someone who has no care or concern for, for humanity. All they care about is themselves. Completely self-absorbed. Someone who's, think of a, uh, a murderer. A murderer is cruel. They want to rid the world of someone without any judgment, without any, any ruling, without any right justification. They decide that this is what they want to do. So they do it, right? That's cruel. Kidnapper is cruel. There are many, many examples. Someone who's a, who's a thief, right, is cruel. There are many different ways we can define cruelty. But I would say some cruelty boils down to someone who's completely self-absorbed. So that's the thing is that we have to first come to terms with the fact that we can't control others. If we can't control others, then I, I really don't take, you know, I don't take responsibility for what other people do. It's a, it's a difficult situation if the person's a family member because it really makes, it makes life difficult for us. Well, I think the first step would be to realize that you can't control what the other person does. And therefore, it really is pointless to get angry, right, to something that there's really nothing I can change. So why would I do something that continues to have negative effects? And I feel, you know, anger is not a pleasant feeling. So if I can't right. control the outcome, then what's the benefit of me getting angry? I'll give you an example. If you have a, a competitor, okay, a competitor of a of, of business, someone you uh, had in your business, you brought them in as a young, uh, I, have, I have a friend of mine who told me this, right? He, he brought in this young, ambitious, you know, teenager just out of school, out of high school. He trained them. He taught him. He, he invested time 10, 15 years. And then when he needed him the most, he left, started a competition company. And now he says, every day is anger at this individual. You betrayed me, right? I raised you. I took care of you. I paid you. I did everything for you. And now you're my competitor. So here's the thing is that a person needs to realize is that first is, firstly, they're not going to take one drop of business away from you. Okay. Hashem will give you exactly the business you need to have. Okay. But it bothers me. It bothers me that I see that person who I spend so much time and, and effort and, 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 and love raising that person is now competing with me, right? Or doing something against my will, okay? Doing something that harms me. So the only thing we can do is try to limit the exposure to them. Don't even look. And it's difficult not to look. But sometimes if we do look, we're just hurting ourselves. Right? We, we, we get angry, we get worked up. Why are they doing this to me? Why they, don't they understand what they've done? Right? Don't they understand that this is wrong? Right? The, the first easiest step, and it's not easy at all, is to just not look and to try to disconnect. And uh, obviously, each situation is its, in, its, in its own needs to be handled in a much more detailed way. But the, the general idea is that we aren't in control of what other people do. We are barely in control of what we do. If we have a certain something that triggers us, what can we do to, to limit that trigger? What can we do to limit you know, those triggers from taking over our lives? It's not good for other people to have control over our happiness, our sadness, our days. It really is. It's not a good thing to empower other people, to allow other people to have that kind of power over us. Okay, so we see like this. Moshe, our leader, he slayed the Egyptian, but he helped the daughters of Ruel by saving them and watering their sheep. 
Same with King David. Just because he was harsh with one person, it was measured and it was calculated. It didn't make him a cruel person. On the contrary, right? we see, right? We see that many, right? We, th there needs to be a balance in everything that we do. There needs to be a balance. And we have to have a proper measure to understand when is it, when is a time at La Col, right? King Solomon says, there is a time for everything. There's a time for peace. There's a time for war. There's a time for, right? There's, there's, a, there's a time for everything. And we have to know exactly at what point is the right thing. And this is what actually what the Torah gives us this guidance. I want to share with you, the Midrash says, we mentioned this previously in other classes. I don't think we mentioned here at the Beth Yishurim class. But the Midrash says an amazing thing. It says that the food that we eat has an impact on the character, on our character. So we don't eat animals. We don't eat an, an animal that attacks others. It's not a kosher animal. We don't eat birds of prey. We don't eat wolves and weed wipe because they attack other animals. Instead, what type of animals do we eat? We eat cows. What do they eat? They eat grass. What do we, you know, we can eat the sheep. They eat grass, right? It's like you're eating, right? You're eating something which is healthier, organic, right? You could, it's, right? Not something which is eating other animals. That's why shellfish and all of that, the, all of those fish, the only thing that you eat from the water is if it has fins and scales. That's it. That's it. Okay. So now, why don't we eat an eagle? Eagle, a nesher, is, our sages tell us, the Midrash tells us, that is the most merciful animal. It has such incredible mercy. First of all, you should just notice the, an interesting fact that eagles carry their babies, their eggs, on their shoulder. Most birds carry it under their body. But the eagle, because he's on top, he flies the highest, the other birds can attack from the bottom and grab the eggs. So he puts his babies on the top of his shoulders. Okay, But more than that, the Midrash says that the eagle, you know, the, the, the way the, the calf is, it walks with his mother, right? the little baby calf, and the mother goat takes, or sheep, right, whatever, it takes, it takes its, its young to the cliff and then kicks it off the cliff. It doesn't want it. And the eagle goes mid-ear, grabs the little calf, brings it back to the top of the cliff, and then the mother doesn't kick it off again. Okay, I guess I tried. It didn't work. Okay, now we just go. I guess you're here to stay, right? So the Midrash asks, I don't understand. I don't understand. Such mercy? Shouldn't the eagle be a kosher animal? Right? Shouldn't the eagle be a kosher animal? Such compassion. That's something we want. Say, just tell us. The Midrash says, not kosher. Because it has an unbalanced compassion. It is such a high level of compassion that we would go crazy from such a high level of compassion. There's no balance. And it's an extremist in its, in its compassion. It's an extremist. And therefore, we are all about balance. In Judaism, everything we have in Judaism is about balance. And when we have such an imbalance from this eagle, not kosher. It's too much compassion. There's no, there, there's no measure. There's no balance. Okay. It's interesting that the Jewish people, 
or called, there are three traits that the Jewish people are identified by. Baishanim, they're shy. Rachmanim, they're merciful, compassionate. And Gomlei Chasadim, they're kind. If you think of every single movement that has started in the world of compassion, of kindness, they're all started by Jews. Even the save the whales, save the turtles, save the, they're all Jews. It's part of our traits. Problem is, is if we don't know how to balance them, if we don't know how to balance that compassion, we can go overboard. And too much compassion means that we're just compassionate indiscriminately. And then again, what we mentioned before, there has to be a balance and you don't be compassionate to those who are cruel. You don't be compassionate to those who are evil. A Hitler doesn't deserve compassion. Understand? Hashem heard the cry of Yishmael. It's the most remarkable tale, right? So we, the Torah tells us, right? The Torah tells us an amazing story. Abraham kicks out Yishmael, his son, and Hagar, her mother, his mother. Why? Because Sarah said, I don't like this guy. He's a bad influence on my son. Yitzchak, get him out. Yishmael is there in the desert. It's dry. He's thirsty. He's ill. He's about to die. And the heavenly angels and God have a discussion. Should we save him or not? And the heavenly angels say, for sure we kill him. Get rid of him. Let him die. Why? Because look at his future generations. They're going to be murderers. They're going to go after the Jewish people. Get rid of him now. <laughs> it's easy, right? Let him die here in the field, and we won't have Ishmael, and then we're good. But God says, I'm inquiring about how is he now? At this moment, Ba'asher Hu Sham. How is he now? Right now, he's repentive, right? Right now, he's a positive person right now. If he's positive right now, I judge him by how he is right now. Not by looking at his future, not by looking at his past. Right now is what I judge him by. Our sages tell us that Rosh Hashanah, we get judged. You know how we get judged? By right now. We think, one second, this is like a whole, this is a whole masquerade. We come the whole year, we do whatever we want. Comes Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we get dressed up, we get in white, and we say, Yo, Hashem, please forgive me. I feel so bad. Next year, same thing again, right? We go, we do whatever we want during the year. We come back, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hashem, please forgive us. Please, one more time, forgive us. I'm going to change my ways. Goes the whole year, we do the same thing again. Is Hashem stupid? He doesn't get the, get the, get the, the pattern of how things go. Every year, I guarantee you, I have a list, okay? I'm sure you all have lists as well of what you ask for on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and what are the high holidays, what are we are asking for forgiveness for. I'm sure you do. And you look at the list, it's the same as last year. And the same as the year before. And the same as the year before. So what's going on over here? Why are we stuck at the same place again and again? What do we think God is not going to catch on to this? God doesn't care. God says, I want to see how genuine you are right now. How genuine are you right now? This is the you I want to see. Right now, I believe in you. God has compassion. And just like he did for Yishmael, he saved him right there in the desert. Because right now he was righteous. What is going to be in the future? I don't know. I don't care. What was he in the past? I don't either care. Right now, he's righteous. Right now, I'll save him. Okay? 
When you cry to me, I will listen, it says, right? This is in Exodus 22, 26. For I'm caring, God says. I'm caring. I care about you. I'm there for you, right? God always chooses the underdog. We have to understand the Jewish people are always the underdog. God always chooses the underdog. Who is more powerful, Ishmael or Isaac? Isaac. God picked Isaac. Isaac had two children, Esau and Yaakov and Jacob. Who did God pick? Jacob. Right? Jacob, of all of his children, who is, who is the least powerful? Joseph. Aaron and Moses. Who was older? Aaron. God picked the underdog. He picked Moses. Was Moses uh, less of an orator than his brother? Absolutely. Right? He was the underdog. You look constantly throughout the entire history of the Jewish people, God always picks the underdog. Right? Why? Because God is compassionate. It says, when you look at the people of Nineveh, they were warned. What were they warned of? Of losing God's compassion. Be careful. You're abusing God's compassion. Right? Be careful. Right? He will endow you with the quality of compassion. It says in, in Deuteronomy, it says that God will endow us with the quality of compassion. He will be merciful to you and he will increase you. This trait of compassion, kindness for other people is a gift that the Almighty gives us so that we're able to look beyond ourselves. We're able to think and care about what other people have, what other people need. And it's a caution, again, not to have compassion for those who are not deserving of compassion. Compassion does not mean, you know, going and hugging the mother of a terrorist. That's a flawed compassion. It's a flawed compassion. Here's someone went and murdered people, and you're going to, to, to comfort the mother right? who sent her child out. That's a flawed compassion. That, that's not the compassion that the Torah is talking about. Okay? We see further. We see the Torah tells us, you should love your fellow as yourself. What's the what's the the premise to that commandment in the Torah. The premise is you have to love yourself. It means it doesn't, the Torah doesn't say if you love yourself, love your fellow like yourself. No, it's a given. Love yourself. Love your fellow exactly the way you love yourself. Kamocha, like yourself. Right? It's a given that we're going to love ourselves. Now, obviously. There's different levels of compassion. There's a compassion that a father has to a son, a mother has to a child, right? That's a natural compassion. But a master to a servant is also one that the Torah teaches us needs to have compassion. So uh, we have a special mitzvah in the Torah to have compassion to a widow, to an orphan. It's very, it, this is such an important trait. It's such an important, uh, when we talk about kindness, when we talk about having proper compassion to other people. Right. It, again, it, what it, it involves is getting into the frame of mind, getting into the challenge that another person is experiencing. What is the other person experiencing? By the way, that you don't have to go far. In your own home, in your own relationships, there is the ability to be compassionate and kind and thinking about the other. We have the same idea. When it comes to, you go to synagogue, you go to synagogue. I'll tell you an amazing story. There's a story that's told 
about a father and a son that was that were separated during the Holocaust. The son ended up running with his mother. The father was stuck in the camps and stuck, stuck in the ghettos. And only 10, 15 years later, they, they reunited. The family got reunited again. And the father had such a difficult time reconnecting with the son. And the son had a difficult time reconnecting with his father. They were trying to figure out why there was this, this challenge. And the father explained, he says, you have to understand, your mother has been showering you with kindness for 15 years. And I, for those 15 years, wasn't able to give you that kindness. The more we're able to give, the more kindness we're able to shower onto another person, the closer we get to that person, the closer that relationship becomes. It's an unbelievable to have compassion, to have love, to have kindness and friendship for another person means that we look beyond ourselves and we get into what their needs are. So where there are two types of people in the world, our sages tell us there are two types of people in the world. There are givers and there are takers. And Rabbi, Rabbi Elio Dessler, who's the, the, the author of this idea, uh, right? He, he used to say at all weddings, he used to say, listen, your marriage is dependent on whether or not the two of you will be givers or takers. Success of any relationship is based on this one principle. You can either be a giver or you can be a taker. No one wants to be in a relationship where someone is only a taker. Now, women are naturally givers, right? They're born naturally to be givers, to be nurturers. You can look at my, at my daughter, right? My daughter is two years old, right? You've seen her here, right? She usually comes on, on screen. Maybe she'll be here. She'll gift us with her presence in a few minutes. But she, the way she takes care of her little babies, her dolls, is the most unbelievable thing. You see the boys at that age? They really... Couldn't care less. They're so self-absorbed. But she's naturally a nurturer, right? That's the nature of a woman. A man needs to learn. Again, a woman is at the top of the, of, of the ladder. The man is at the bottom. He needs to learn and develop himself to get to that top. And part of it is to learn to be a giver, not a taker. That is the job. That is the task for every single male in every relationship. To learn to be the giver. All right. And the guarantee is that when a man gives, he will get tenfold in return. A mentor of mine once told me before I got married, he says, I want you to know that the marriage is a one point system. It's a one point system. Because everything you do for your wife, you have to know is one point. One point. What does that mean? You see, the way a man looks at things is the man looks at a, uh, a watch, right? She buys him a nice watch. Like, wow, this is an expensive watch, right? This is an expensive watch. So the more value it has monetarily or a nice car, right? It goes by, by the object or by the value. And then it's like, wow, okay, this is, this is you're good for a year, right? But in, in, in a woman's world, it goes very differently. Every single thing is one point. So whether you buy her a car, whether you buy her a watch, you buy her a card and write a nice love note or a, a post-it note on the mirror, which says, I love you, or you prepare her lunch or you whatever, every single thing is one point. 
It doesn't make a difference how expensive it is. It's still one point. It's the thought. It's the focus, the intention. And many men make this mistake in thinking, I bought you an expensive watch. I bought you an expensive car. What's the big deal, right? It's just two points. That's it. It was one point for the car, one point for the house. That's it, right? There's been, right? And it could be small things, but there needs to be that phone call during the day. Hey, honey, how are you? Just wanted to say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. That's a point. Each one of these things nurtures that relationship of becoming a giver. That is the goal here. The goal is to get out of our selfishness and to become someone who's a giver. That's our goal. All right. So not only about marriage, but in every situation that we're in, we need to see how can I be a giver in this situation? You can be in shul with total strangers. How can I be a giver? Okay. Being a giver is Hashem's trait, for he takes nothing in return from us. Is there anything that anybody here can give to Hashem? No. What can you give him? What can you give him? He gives us everything. He gives us free air. He gives us free food. He gives us our jobs. He gives us our, our talents, our mind, our abilities, our bodies. He gives us everything. And what do we give him back in return? Nothing. Hashem is all giving, all kind, all compassionate, all forgiving. Not only that, we can, we can throw things back in God's face and he still continues to give us. He doesn't turn off the oxygen. He doesn't turn off the, the valve of, of, of success, right? On the contrary, God continues. Why? Because he's compassionate and loving. He says, I know that you'll come, you'll come to me, right? When we say thanks, right? When we say thanks to Hashem, we're not giving to Hashem. That's for ourselves to not be selfish and not realize that everything we receive is a gift. Right then, we're not paying God with prayer. Oh, well, it's the least I can do is I can pay him back, right? No, God doesn't need our prayers. That's for us to not become selfish people. That's for us to not be self-absorbed and realize that everything is a gift from Hashem, okay? We have to know that this is the root of all traits. Not being self-absorbed, right? In business, we have to think of how to not be a taker. Not on someone else's expense, not on someone else's ignorance. Giving in order to justify taking isn't a good giving. It's interesting that the first question that's asked when a person moves on to the, to the world of truth, right? After we pass on from this world, the first question that's asked is, did you do business honestly? Were you truthful? Right? Were you truthful? That means in every area of life, were we truthful? Were we truthful in our relationships? Were we truthful in our business? Did we use trickery? Or were we being genuine? Okay? It's a very powerful thing. They say that the, that the um, you know, Rabbi Shaw Salanter learned something from every person he met. He was once walking late, late at night, and he passed the shoe, the shoemaker. He sees he's still working. So Rabbi Shol Salanter says to him, he says, you're still working? He looks at the candle and he says, if the candle's still burning, there's still work to do. If the candle still has light in it, there's still work to do. And, the, and Rabbi Shol Salanter quoted that shoemaker and says, indeed, as long as there are lights, in this candle, in this human being, there's still work to do. 
It's an unbelievable lesson. They say that one of the great early sages, he was a, he was a shoemaker. But every time, how did he become so great? That's such a great scholar. He said every time he hammered in a sole, he hammered in another heel, he fixed the shoe, he, he created a shoe, he had intention that someone should enjoy it. It's not for my livelihood. I want to do that. Of course, it's for his livelihood so he can support himself. But he had in mind, hey, this, this should be a special shoe for the father walking his daughter down the chuppah. This should be a special shoe for, for a bride, right? This should be a special shoe. He had in mind because he said, I don't want it to just be that I'm taking for myself. I want this to be special for them. And a person can do that. A person's in, in any industry. How do I be a giver in the industry that I'm in? to help the other people, to be kind to them, right? It's an interesting thing that, you know, you wonder, uh, you look at the, at some of these stores like uh, Starbucks or you look at, I was remember I was, when we travel, we used to, last year, the year before, the year before, for many years, we've been driving up to New York for the summer. This year, I don't think we'll end up doing that, perhaps, mm-hmm. because all camps are closed and it's, it really is a, a challenging summer. We stop in, in Atlanta, they have a Krispy Kreme that's kosher. And we'd go there with the kids and we'd see how they make the Krispy Kreme, the, the donuts all the way from, from the fabrication, all the way from the beginning, all the way till the final product. It really is incredible. And we sit there, we look through the glass and we look through the whole thing. But if you look up on top, they have their mission statement. Their mission statement. And their mission statement is to put a smile on every human being, one donut at a time, to make people happy. So if you think to yourself, ridiculous, you just want to sell donuts and make money, right? That would be a form of taking. But if our goal is we want every person to smile, it changes the way we do business. We want every person to be happy. So if you're not happy with your donut, we'll, we'll make it good for you because that's our mission. It's not just we want to make money. So too bad. Sorry. Tough luck for you right? You don't like this flavor? It's too bad. It depends what the mission is. If the mission is to make every person happy, then when things don't go right, we still keep that mission in mind, right? It's not just about making money. It's not just about about how we can line our pockets. It's about we want to make sure that, yes, it's a secondary goal or, or, or a tertiary goal, but it is it is more important that we make people happy. We want people to be happy. That's a, a, a form of trying to always think about the other person. That is our goal. How do we make another person feel? If we do something, I'll tell you a story recently and a friend of mine told me, he was telling me a story about something totally different. And he was mentioning to mention some, some part of the story that uh, his father was, was, was ill and he needed to be taken care of. It was, just, it was just a small element of the story that he was telling me. And I felt bad later on and I messaged him. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, it bothered me that I didn't ask you, how's your father doing? You know, it wasn't the main part of the story, but it bothered me that I didn't ask and care enough at the moment to say, okay, one second, you finished your story, but how's your father doing? Right. Is he okay? He says, yeah, thank you so much for asking. He's doing well. Everything is great. But sometimes we get caught up in ourselves, in our stories, in our things that are going on, and we have to really show that compassion, that kindness for another person.